China. The wall of China wouldn't have been good enough. We had to refer to it as the Great Wall of China. Um, if you if you travel a little bit further or quite a, quite some distance further away from from China and you move towards Egypt, you'll see the Great Pyramid of Giza, right? There's lots of pyramids in, in, in Egypt, but that one was so fantastic. And someone wanted to pat themselves on the shoulder so much that they decided, you know, this one, this one we're going to call the Great Pyramid of Giza. We're very quick to, to label things great. Nothing wrong with that, of course. Uh, just an observation on my part. And of course, there'll be some Liverpool fans this morning who will say, man, what a great game, you know? What a great strike. Uh, uh, by our by our main guy, you know, um, the way the the way he deceived the goalkeeper, you know, the the goalkeeper thought he was going one way, but he went another way, you know. He 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 showed him with the eyes. He gave him the eyes. He gave him the eyes. What a great goal! What a great penalty, you know. As for Origi, wow, you know, beautiful Africa, power, more power to Africa, you know. What a, what a great game! And so we're quick to call things great. Whenever Barcelona plays, it, it, it annoys me sometimes because the commentators will continue, you continually hear them say, um, is this the greatest Barcelona side of all time? You know, we're quick to call things great. Uh, from sports stars to singers um, to actors, uh, we're quick to label them as, as being great, the greatest of all time. Michael Jackson, surely, surely MJ was the greatest pop star of all time. And we go to the extent of creating television shows to idolize these people who we feel are so great. And in fact, we even call the show Idols because we want to idolize these great and wonderful people who are in our eyes so great. And so we're very, very quick to label things as being great, to label individuals as being great. Again, nothing wrong with it, just my observation. And as I make this observation, I had to ask myself the question, are we just as quick and just as easy to refer to Jesus as being great? In fact, I'll take it one step further, and you'll often, you'll often hear people say this. They'll often refer to, ah, that great man of God, you know? <laughs> He's my favorite. Huh? Now, I like them all, but that guy, ah, that great man of God, yo, <laughs> I, li I, I like that guy. Very quick to label even normal people like flesh and blood, human beings, as great. Again, just my observation, but my question to you and I is, how quick are we to rightly label Jesus as being great? We often, and I often, I'll be the first to put my hand up. I've said it, I've said it from this platform time and time again. God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. We're very quick to label him good. Is he good? Yes, he is good. Of course he's good. Um, by his very nature, he's good. He is good. There's nothing wrong with saying God is good. So let's do it now. God is good? And all the time? See, nothing wrong. Lightning didn't strike us. We're all still here. Amen? So God is good. But how often do we actually elevate him and rightly position him in the place of greatness where he actually belongs? To say, Jesus, you are great. You do wonderful things. You are so great. We do it in our songs and we do it deliberately so. So in our praise and worship songs that we sing on a Sunday morning, we'll, you'll hear us sing, um, How Great Is Our God. How great is our God. Sing with me, how great 
is our God, and all will sing how great, how great is our God. So we sing it in our songs, right? Um, your great name, um, our God is greater, our God is greater, our God is stronger, God you are higher than, there we go, there we go, there we go. Second session of praise and worship, right? So, so we do it in our worship, we do it deliberately so, because, because he's not just an average Joe. Um, apologies if your name happens to just be Joe. <laughs> but man, we serve a God who's great. Hello somebody. He is greater than any other. He is mightier than any other. He's more powerful. He's the name that's above every other name. Keep your Lionel Messi. Keep your Cristiano Ronaldo. He's higher than every other. He's been given a name that's higher than any other name. He is great and he's mighty. Hallelujah, Jesus. So there's nothing wrong with declaring God's goodness because he is good. But I want to encourage us and hopefully create a new culture within Go Christian Church um, to add on to the things that we like to call uniquely ours, where we, where we really emphasize certain things in this particular household, in this particular assembly. And one of the things I'd like, to, I'd like us to really just create a culture of acknowledging the greatness of God, the otherness of God. You know, he's not, he's not the guy down the road. He's not me. He's definitely not like me. He's not like me. He's much more special. He's not, he's not, you know, Pastor Tracy loves to refer to the otherness of God. The otherness of God. The otherness of Jesus. He, he was man. He was flesh and blood. He walked amongst us. He walked amongst the sick and the lame and he healed them. He opened up blinded eyes. He raised the dead. But he was not just, he was not just another prophet. He was not just a disciple. He was not just a great prophet as some religions would have us believe, or one of the other prophets. There's that otherness of Jesus that I'd like us to just acknowledge. By the way, greetings from, from Pastor Trace and Pastor Paul. Um, obviously, Pastor Paul supporting Pastor Tracy. She's currently doing her half Ironman in Durban right now as we speak. Amen. Amen. So, so awesome, just, just greetings and, and all the love and all the, all the, all the goody good stuff from them to us. Amen. So, Jesus was not just another prophet. He's not, he was not even just a great prophet. He was not even just a man. But there's an otherness about him. You see, when Satan comes and, and Satan accuses us, that's you and I. Remember, that's, his, that's one of the things that he does, right? There's certain things that are, that are intrinsically Jesus and intrinsically God. And there's certain things that are intrinsically Satan. So Satan, for example, and I've said this many times before, he's the father of all lies. That's, that's, that's kind of his thing. That's, that's kind of his job description, right? That's what he does. One of the other things about Satan that's intrinsically him is he's the accuser of the brethren. So what he did to Job, don't look at that as a once-off. He didn't just go once before God and say, but have you considered, uh, or, or, or what about Job? Or isn't it that he, the, the only reason that he actually worships you so much, isn't it just because you've given him so many blessings? What if we take all the blessings away from him? Uh, will he still worship you the way that he worships you now? He didn't just do that with Job. He's the accuser of the brethren. You and I are the brethren. That's what he does. He accuses us before the Father. And when he does that, when Satan does that, Jesus, Jesus Christ, 
comes on your behalf and on my behalf and he advocates on our behalf. So one of the things that's intrinsically Jesus is he's your advocate. He is your advocate. As much as he's my advocate, he's your advocate. And he advocates on your behalf. He comes to your defense when Satan comes with his accusations about you to the Father. Jesus rises to your defense. Now this morning, I'd like to slightly reverse the roles and I'd like to advocate on behalf of Jesus this morning and state and make out a case for why Jesus is great. And ladies and gentlemen, if you'll just go with me this morning, these are the beginnings of my heads of argument, as it were, for why Jesus Christ is great. Turn with me, or alternatively, just make a note if you're taking down a note. Our foundation scripture is going to be Hebrews chapter 1, from verse 1 to verse 4. I'll keep referring back to it throughout. Um, so every now and again, I'll refer to verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, verse 4. Um, but this is our foundation verse. It's Hebrews chapter 1, from verse 1 to verse 4. I'm going to read it from the NIV. And as I say, we'll keep referring back to it. Here we go. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, that's Jesus, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. And Jesus is the exact representation of God's being and his nature. Sustaining all things, this is Jesus, by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name that he has inherited is superior to theirs. This is our foundation passage of scripture, Hebrews chapter 1, from verse 1 to verse 4. I'm going to start this morning by unpacking this, 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 this passage of scripture verse by verse. And I'd like to give for you once again, if you're taking down notes, seven reasons why Jesus Christ is great. So these are the seven reasons that I extract from this passage of scripture as to why Jesus Christ in my reckoning, is great. Here we go. Point number one and reason number one. He is great because he is the heir. When I read Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2, I, I read that in these last days, he has, he, God has spoken to us by or through his son. His son is Jesus, whom he has appointed, who God has appointed heir of all things. Not just heir of some things, because even that would be astonishing. If God was to appoint me, if God the Father, the creator of heaven and earth, was to appoint me, Stuart Ashton Bishop, as, as the heir of some of the stuff that he's created, I'd, I'd pretty much be blown away. So, in this passage of scripture, we see that God has appointed Jesus as the heir, not of some things, and that would be astonishing in, in and of itself, not just of most things, but of all things. So this is not that deal where in, in, in my last will and testament I will say, and 50% of my estate goes to Jude, and 50% of my estate goes to Matthew. 
right? So half to Matthew and half to Jude. It wasn't that type of deal. Here, the, according to the scripture, God the Father gives every single thing. Every single thing belongs to Jesus. So he is the heir and he's the heir of all things. Every single thing belongs to God the Father and as heir of all things, every single thing belongs to Jesus. This, is a, this again is confirmed in Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 8 reads as follows. You have put again all things in subjection under his feet, not just some things. So you have put all things in subjection under his feet for in subject for in subjecting all things to him, that's all things to Jesus, he left nothing that is not subject to him. There is nothing that is not subject to Jesus. That's powerful when you, when you, when you really understand what that means. That means there's nothing that you're facing and absolutely no one who's opposing you who is not subject to Jesus. Every situation, every circumstance, everyone who opposes you in any shape or form, whether at work or whether in your family, because you, how many of you know that we can have even people close to us, even family members in our immediate and extended family who can be in direct opposition to us, even those who oppose you, even your enemies are under the subjection of Jesus Christ. There's nothing that's not under his subjection. He's the one who spoke to the winds and the waves and said, peace be still. And they obeyed him. Nothing, absolutely nothing, falls outside of his scope of authority. He has authority over everything. He is the heir of all things. That's why all things must obey him. That's why when you have a cough, that's why when you're feeling sick, when you're feeling down, you can speak with the authority of Jesus Christ and you say, according to this passage of scripture, according to Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2, according to Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 8, all things are under subjection of Jesus Christ. Therefore, I bring this body, this flesh, this blood, this temple, this temple of the Holy Spirit, I bring it under subjection of Jesus Christ the heir of all things, and I declare healing in Jesus' name. Just by the way, the fact that he is the heir of all things, remember there's a passage of scripture that also we will refer to it later on, but it just, it just gives me goosebumps when I think about it. Jesus is the heir of all things, and through Jesus, so by accepting Jesus as our Lord and personal Savior, what did he do? He made us, that's you and I, co-heirs with him. There I go again. Goose is all over. He made us co-heirs with him. You know what that means? That means that me, again, Stuart Ashton Bishop, who was born and raised in a single parent home with one mom, who comes from a neighborhood that is riddled with gangsterism. Me, this guy, although I come from Almost nothingness, nothingness and almost complete obscurity. Me, I'm a co-heir with Jesus Christ who owns everything. I own what he owns. I have a right of entitlement to every single thing that belongs to Jesus. Right now as you're sitting there and as I'm standing here, there's, there's, there's a street that's paved with gold. <laughs> and it belongs to me. 
Right now, there's cattle on a thousand hills. I didn't need to pay Lobola to get married, but if ever I was in that situation, I could have, I could have negotiated and I could have said, you know what? I don't have the cows now, but trust me when I say, I am a co-heir, and as a co-heir, I have cattle on a thousand hills. So actually, this Lobola thing is sorted. Don't worry. Hallelujah. Now, if you do use that line, <laughs> you're probably going to need some other man of God with you to back you up. That's powerful. Not only is he great because he is an heir of all things, but he's made you and I co-heirs with him. That's absolutely powerful. That's point number one. Point number two, Jesus is great because he is the creator. Jesus is great because he, Jesus, is the creator. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2 is our foundation verse. And it says, through whom also he made the universe. So it's, it's speaking about God and it says, God through Jesus made the entire universe and everything in it. So He's great because he is the creator. Let's look for some confirmation in scripture as well. John chapter 1 and verse 3. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Sounds a bit redundant, but it makes the point, right? All things came into being through him. And apart from him, in other words, outside of him, there was nothing that came into being that has come into being. I like it because it's not English, but it's something else. In other words, every single thing that you look at, every single thing that was created, was created through Jesus. Colossians 1 and verse 16. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible. That's also quite powerful. You're not just talking about the things that you can see and touch and smell and hear. The things that are visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Every single thing was created for Jesus. Whether or not he realizes it, Julius Malema was created for Jesus. Whether or not he realizes it, him coming to that realization is one, let's, 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 let's compartmentalize it. Whether he comes to the realization or not that actually he was created for Jesus does not change the fact that he was created for Jesus. Right? Let's not be judgy, judgy, judgy. At some point in time, you and I, yes, you, tell your neighbor, yes, you, yes, me. At some point in time, you and I did not have the revelation that we have now. At some point in time, you and I were also walking around completely blind, with scales over our eyes, not able to see, not able to discern, being led astray, following our father, the father of lies. At some point in time, that was you and I. So whoever that individual might be, whoever that politician, whoever that king, whoever that person, powerful businessman is, wherever they're at right now, whether they realize it or not, whether the scales have been removed from their eyes or not, they were made for Jesus. They were made to be used as his vessels of honor and glory. We have to, our job 
right now as those who've received the revelation, as those who've become born again, our job is to intercede for those kings and ministers and, and, and prime ministers and presidents. Your job is to pray for your president. That if he doesn't know Jesus as his Lord and personal Savior, that the scales would be removed from his eyes and that he would get into a personal relationship with Jesus. That's our job. Amen. One waters, one plants the seed, one waters. We, we'll either be planting or, we, or we'll be watering, but it'll be Jesus himself who will add the increase. That's another reason why he's great, but it's not even on my points. Right? Let's get back to the points. So he's great because he is the creator. Point number two. Point number three, Jesus is great because he is the glorious one. Again, back to our foundation scripture in verse three of Hebrews chapter one. It says as follows, the sun is the radiance of God's glory. The sun, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory. If I could put it in my own words, I would say he's the best part. He's the light. He's the, he's the, he's the, he's the, he's the part of God's glory that will light up this room. We see many, many examples throughout scripture where men and women have come in contact with the glory of God. With the radiance of God's glory. In Exodus chapter 3 and verse 6, Moses hides his face because he was afraid to look at God. Because of the glory that he saw. Judges 6 and 22, when Gideon realizes that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaims, Ah, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell face down. Ezekiel 1, 27. Daniel 10, verse 7 and verse 8 Verse 7 and verse 8, as well as Daniel 10, verse 9 and verse 20. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. The men with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale and I was helpless. Revelation 1.17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. Philippians 3 and verse 21, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory? By the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. He is the radiance of of God's glory and there's many 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 more accounts of men and women throughout scripture as they encounter the glory of God what makes Jesus oh so great is that he himself is the very radiance of God's glory point number four Jesus is great because he is God's representation Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3 says, and he is the exact representation of his being or his nature. Jesus is the exact representation of God's being and of God's nature. Now, you and I were created in God's image, right? Every single one of us, every single human being that's walking on the face of the planet was created in the likeness, in the image of God. That doesn't mean that you and I are the exact representation of God. You see why I say Jesus is not just an average Joe walking the street. 
Even though you and I were made in the image of God, according to this passage of scripture, Jesus is the exact, exact. That means he hasn't even missed it, not by one inch, not by one iota, not by one degree of measurement, has he missed out on encapsulating the exact, precise, accurate representation of who God is. That's who Jesus is. And that's why he's great. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might, might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. John chapter 10 and verse 30. I and the Father, Jesus speaking, says I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. You see the Father, you see me. There's no difference there's literally no, I am the exact representation of the Father. I and the Father are one. John 14 and verse 9, Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? How can you say, after walking with me as my disciple, how can you say to me, Jesus, please, show me the Father? You've been with me so long. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. I am his exact representation. You want to know what Father God looks like? Look at me. This is why Jesus is great. Point number five. Jesus is great because he is the sustainer. Again, back to our foundation uh, passage of scripture. Again, we're still in verse three. Verse 3 goes on to say, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Sustaining all things. That word sustaining has a quality of it of, of keeping things together, holding things together. Keeping everything together, sustaining all things by his powerful word. This is confirmed in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 17. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. You know what that means? Now, remember, we, remember we, we spoke about he's the, he's the heir of all things, both visible and invisible. So we're not just speaking about the physical things, the things that we can see and touch. I can see this pulpit, and I can touch this pulpit. I can see this laptop, and I can touch this laptop. We're not just speaking about the things that we can see and touch and feel. When the passage of Scripture says, in him all things hold together, I challenge you this morning, I challenge you this morning that if you are a married couple sitting in our presence this morning, and you feel like your marriage is coming apart at the seams. You feel like you and your, 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 your other half, either your wife or your husband, are pulling apart from each other. I encourage you and I challenge you this morning, according to this verse of scripture, all things hold together in him. All things. There's no qualification yet. There's no, nothing's been left out of the equation yet. All things hold together in him. If I challenge you, if you are currently raising a teenager or in my instance, a teenager, you know what a teenager is, right? A three-year-old who's actually speaking to you as if he's a teenager and as if he knows everything. 
That's, that's, that's my boy. That's Jude. I promise you there's not a day that goes by when I don't hear the following words. Daddy, let me tell you something. <laughs> and I've got my response locked down. Yes, my boy, tell me something. And then he proceeds to tell me some wonderful revelation that I must pretend like I've never ever heard before. All right? So in, during the course of this week, they've been learning about the planets at school. Daddy, let me tell you something. Yes, Jude, what's, what's, what's the matter? Boy, tell, tell Daddy something. Daddy, do you know that there's a moon in the sky? Wow, yes, is there a moon in the sky? Yes. And do you know that there's a sun, Daddy? Okay, okay, a sun. Interesting, interesting. Daddy, do you know? Daddy, let me tell you something. Do you know? Do you know that the sun is the biggest star? Jude, I didn't know that, boy. I did not... I did not know that. I did not know that. Wow. That's Jude. That's Jude. I, yeah, I, I could go on and on. They're learning about rockets. So you get in a rocket and the rocket takes you to the moon. Right, so I have to hear all these, all these wonderful things as, I'm, as we're driving from school, the short distance from school to home. Then I get all the updates about, Daddy, let me tell you something. But I challenge you this morning, whether you're currently raising a teenager or a three-nager, at a certain point in time, we know this because we were teenagers ourselves, right? We know, we know how we were. We know, you know how you were. You know, I was going to say how, you know the beans that you gave your parents, right? You gave your parents beans, right? You know, you know. Even, even if your mom now says, oh, my favorite, you know? Even if you get... By the way, in case you didn't know, if you if you if you have more if if you have another sibling, by the way, no, don't don't walk out of here depressed. It's just it's just a fact. So if you do have another sibling, and if your mom or your dad at any point in time has told you that you are their favorite, by the way, when you're not there and it's the other sibling, they're saying the same thing to the other sibling. Just by the way, just just I'm just saying, right? But you know the beans that you gave your parents. So you know what's in store for you with your kids, right? But if at any point in time your family unit feels like it's coming apart at the seams. If at any point in time, and we go through stuff, guys, whether it's sickness, whether it's all sorts of challenges, we go through things and we feel like our world is coming apart at the seams. We go through stuff at work. Someone in your team gets promoted to be your supervisor. Someone who used to work next to you and who, and who used to ask you, what's Excel again? What's Excel again? And you got your how? Now that person has been promoted to be your supervisor. Hmm. And you're like, Lord, no. Why, Lord, why? What's going on here? And it feels like things are coming apart at the seams at work. There are matriculants in our midst who are currently studying for their matric exam. At a certain point in time, whether it's just a perception or whether it really is actually happening, at a certain point in time, no one goes through matric feeling absolutely every single second that, ah, I got this, <laughs> I got this, ah, exams for who? IEP for who? I've got this thing, man. I've got this thing. 
Nobody does that. At a certain point in time, you'll feel like you're coming apart at the seams. But according to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 17, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. I challenge you, whatever it is that you feel is coming apart at the seams, whatever it is, challenge that situation. Speak to that situation. And command that situation to fall under subjection of Jesus in whom all things hold together. Therefore, it cannot rip apart or tear apart at the seams. Amen. Point number six, Jesus is great because he is savior and redeemer. I mean, not that it even needs any elaboration, but again, Hebrews chapter one, still in verse three says, he has provided purification for sins. The scripture says in the book of Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 12 that he did not enter by the blood of goats and calves as had been the tradition up until then or the, or the process up until then. But he, Jesus, entered the most holy place once for all. He did it once for all of us. So that by his own blood, by Jesus' own blood, not by the blood of goats, not by the blood of calves, but by Jesus' own blood, he would be able to secure our eternal redemption. So Jesus was crucified. He was, he was put on a cross. He was, he was laid in a tomb. He spilled blood for you and I once and for all. So that we would not need to continue this, this animal sacrifice every time that we commit a sin. He committed it once and for all. On the cross he said it is finished. Never again will you or I ever need to come before God the Father and first make some sort of animal sacrifice to atone for our sin. He did it once and for all. Amen? And that's why he's great. He's great because he died. He's great because his blood, and uh, along with his love, his blood covers a multitude of sin. It removes, it, it, takes, it takes a filthy rag. And although, although the science doesn't quite seem right, you take an absolutely filthy rag and you take it through the blood of Jesus and it comes out white as snow on the other side. It doesn't seem like any Omo or any Jig ad that you've seen, I know. But I promise you, it works this way that, that you and I who are lost in our trespasses and sin, completely going to a lost eternity, absolutely blinded and absolutely hopeless, we went through the blood of Jesus. And we come out on the other side as if we have never ever sinned in our entire life. That's what the blood of Jesus did. That's what the blood of Jesus does today. He had provided purification for sins. He's great not only because of that, but he's great because after having done all of that, so after having been crucified, giving up his own life. Remember, no one took his life from him. He laid his life down. There's no man that ever has, has ever walked the face of this earth that will ever be able to claim that I'm the one who took Jesus' life. Nobody took Jesus' life. Jesus laid his life down. He laid his own life down. So after laying his life down, after, after shedding his blood, after him being, being buried in a tomb, he then, he then rises again. He rises again and he lives and he reigns currently. He's alive. He's not in a tomb. If you go and find his tomb, as, as archaeologists are continuously trying to find, I mean, I was watching, uh, what's the show called now? Um, Expedition Unknown. 
It's become one of my favorites. And, and this guy, he's like, a, he's like, he's like, what's it? He's like Indiana Jones, right? But he's just a little bit more chubby. He's like more like my size type of thing, right? But he's like a mini Indian, Indiana Jones. He's an archaeologist by profession, but he's, 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 he's running around trying to find out all sorts of things. Where was Jesus born? Was he born in, Na was he, because he was called Jesus of Nazareth? Was he born in Nazareth? But he was actually born in Bethlehem. Was he born in a stable? Was he born in a cave? Because in those days, a, a stable, actually the word that was used actually also can refer to a cave, right? So he's doing all of these things. He's doing all of these things to try to find and trace the origins of Jesus. But if along his path and along his journey, and along this program, he goes to wherever he believes Jesus' tomb is and he tries to find bones to substantiate the fact that Jesus was buried here, he's going to come up short because he won't find any of Jesus' bones anywhere. There are no bones of Jesus anywhere. There is no body of Jesus anywhere. The tomb is empty. He arose and that's what makes him great. Amen. Number seven, we're dealing with seven reasons why Jesus is great. Number seven, he's great because he has the name that's above every other name. We get to verse four. Verse four says, so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. He became as much superior to the angels as the name that he has inherited is superior to theirs. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 9. For this reason also, because he obeyed and so completely humbled himself, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him, that's Jesus, the name which is above every name. He is greater than the greatest of any prophets. He is greater than anyone and anything. And in our foundation verse, we see his greatness. We see his greatness firstly, in, in his relationship to the universe. So if I was to sum up verse 1 to verse 4 and speak about Jesus in his relationship with the universe, I'd sum up as follows. He's the heir of all things. He's the sovereign Lord of the entire universe. The world belongs to Jesus Christ. He is the rightful heir of all things and the great news is that we are co-heirs with Jesus. He is the creator of all things. Jesus did not have his beginning in, Be in Bethlehem, by the way. So Jesus' life doesn't start when he's born in Bethlehem. His life spans the beginning of time. He is the creator. He is the one who created all things. He was present in the creation of this very world. The heavens themselves declare the glory of our Lord. And in relation to the universe, once again, he upholds all things. That is, he holds the universe together by the word of his power. It is in Jesus that we live, we move, and we have our being. So this is how I sum up Jesus in his relationship to the universe. Jesus, in, in his relationship to God the Father, Jesus is God's son, he is unique in, the, in that he is the only begotten son of the living God. Jesus is the brightness and the radiance of God's glory. He is the radiance and he radiates the very glory of God. I'd like us just to investigate a little bit deeper this concept of him being the only begotten son 
of the living God. Luke chapter 1, verse 32 to verse 35. We're speaking now about his divine origin. His divine origin, his divine origin here on earth. Luke chapter 1, verse 32 to verse 35. Starts, it starts at the perfect place. Verse, verse 32 says, he will be great. We're talking about the greatness of Jesus. It starts by saying, He will be great and eminent and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob, in brackets Israel, forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. He will be a king of a kingdom that has no end. Verse 34, Mary said to the angel, How will this be? Since I am a virgin and have no intimacy with any man. Verse 35. Then the angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you like a cloud. For that reason, the holy, pure, sinless child shall be called the Son of God. We all have a beginning. But Jesus in his origin on this earth has a divine beginning. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit coming over Mary like a cloud and in purity and in sinlessness and in holiness as a child he was to be called the son of God. Now what's important about this is that Jesus is not just a son of God. You and I are the sons and daughters of the Most High God. I'm a son. I'm a king of the kid. Hallelujah, Jesus. But I'm not the son of God. I am a king of the kid, but I'm not the son. T-H-E. I'm not the son of God. There's only one son of God, capital S. Exclamation mark. There's only one son of, of, of God, and his name is Jesus. He's not just a son, but he's the son. Jesus was one in thought, in aim, and in action with the Father. John 5 and verse 19. So Jesus answered them by saying, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, the Son, capital S, can do nothing of himself or of his own accord unless it is something that he sees the Father doing. For whatever things the Father does, the Son in turn also does in the same way. He wasn't a son of God. He was the son of the father. John chapter 10 and verse 30. I and the father are one in essence and in nature. John chapter 14 and verse 11. Believe me that I am in the father and the father is in me. I am in the father and the father is in me. If you were to conduct a DNA test between myself and Jude, I, you will find out that I am in Jude and Jude is in me. You'll find out that I am in Matthew and Matthew is in me. We carry the same strand of DNA. Jesus was saying, I and the Father are one. I am in him and he is in me. Because I have a divine origin. I don't have an earthly father. Joseph is doing 
the job, the runaround stuff, the wiping my nose, the, the scraping uh, or wiping my knee when I've scraped it on a rock. He's providing for me food and nourishment for my, for my physical body. Joseph's f- 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 fulfilling a function, but I don't have an earthly father. I don't have a fleshly father. I am one with the heavenly father. I am in him and he's in me. I've got a divine origin. Amen. In other words, he was God manifest in the flesh. I'd like to read for us a passage that I've that I found on billygraham.org. Um, you can have a look at it yourself as well. Um, this is taken from billygraham.org, and I, I, it's just it just really sums up so much about this divine origin of of Jesus and his greatness. And and it reads as follows, Jesus never commanded massive armies or founded any major universities or accumulated any great wealth while he was on earth. Yet, 2,000 years later, millions upon millions of people build their lives on his teaching and look to him for their eternal salvation. And across the world, countless hospitals and orphanages and schools have been built in his name. But what made him different from anyone else who ever lived? In other words, in, in, my, in my understanding, what is it that made him great? He was unique for one reason. He wasn't only a man, but he was also God. This staggers our, our imagination, but Jesus Christ was God in human flesh, fully man, and yet also fully God. He wasn't half God and half man. He was fully God, and at the same time, he was fully man. When that crown of thorns was placed on his head, and the blood dripped down the side of his face, when that sword was pierced through his side, when the nails were driven through his hands and through his feet, he was experiencing the pain and the torment and the anguish as fully man, as any other man would experience that happening to them. He was fully man. He was fully present, experiencing every single bit of pain and anguish. As the Bible says, he is the image of the invisible God. For God who was pleased, or God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. That's a powerful passage of scripture. Colossians 1, 15 and verse 19. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. And that helps answer your second question. What did Jesus actually accomplish? During his days on earth, Jesus performed the greatest deed anyone could ever accomplish. He broke down the barriers between us and God. Our greatest need was to be reconciled to God. But how could that happen since we were separated from God because of our sins? It was only possible if God acted to save us. And that is what he did when Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and I. That was God acting 
on our behalf, while we were still lost in our sins, to bridge the divide between man and God. There's another passage taken from kingdomready.org. And the subheading, or one of the subheadings, is Humble Beginnings. And it reads as follows. Unlike many of the most influential heroes of history, Jesus was not born to wealthy parents with a silver spoon in his mouth. He wasn't born in a hospital or even at home, but in an indoor barn or cave. That's just because, remember what I spoke to you about? The fact that the word can be used to mean both things. In fact, the best Joseph and Mary could do for a cradle was a feeding trough. Have a look at Luke chapter 2 and verse 7. That was the best that Joseph and Mary could do for him, to provide him with a cradle, was to provide him with a feeding trough. When the time came to offer the firstborn sacrifice at the temple, they couldn't even afford the standard sacrifice, which was lamb, but instead had to offer the alternative poor man's sacrifice of two turtle doves. Luke 2 verse 24, Leviticus 12 verse 8. It is one thing for someone who has every advantage, an expensive education, access to power, and every comfort to succeed in life. But for someone born to an obscure couple from an, from an obscure hamlet in an obscure province without any of the advantages money and status could, could provide to change the entire world in a mere few years of his life, remember his, his, actual, his actual time that he actually spent performing miracles was only about a three-year period. Now that is impressive. Jesus' life is so significant that thousands of years later, we count dates from him forward. So from Jesus forward, we call that AD. In other words, after the death of Jesus. And from him backwards, in other words, before Christ, B.C., in other words, he is the hinge, he's the one at whom the calendar resets. So the calendar resets at the life of Jesus, before Christ, B.C., and after his death, A.D. Because he's the one who changed everything. The second subheading is entitled Brilliant. As Jesus grew up, he increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Luke chapter 2 and verse 52. He was something of a child prodigy, able to comprehend and interact, interact with the complex theological word, world of first century Judaism and discourse intelligently with the teachers in the temple. Luke chapter 24 and verse 46. Not only was he listening to them, but he was also asking them questions such that they were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Luke 2.47 Later on, Jesus would continue to evidence an acute knowledge of the Bible, the variety of ways his contemporaneous uh, or his contemporaries were interpreting it. He had a knack of comprehending an issue and penetrating through the surface details to the real heart of the matter. He had no difficulty going toe-to-toe -to -toe with trained religious experts out in the country and in the big city. Luke 20 and verse 26, people marveled at his acumen and boldness, for never had they seen anyone confront the scribes the way that Jesus did. I just want to read you one more. There's quite a few of them. The subheading of this one is authority, and maybe that's why 
Maybe that's why it's my favorite. And maybe I'll just read maybe just the very last portion of, the, of this paragraph. Ah, let me read the whole thing. Otherwise, I don't know where to start. Even so, his humble origins and brilliance only begin scratching the surface of Jesus' greatness. He was also a man of unprecedented authority. We can see examples of great prophets who fearlessly rebuked kings and called the people to repent. But with Jesus, a whole new level of authority surfaces. On one occasion, he was teaching in a synagogue and someone expectantly popped up and blurted out, what business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. You can find this in Mark chapter 1 and verse 24. This shocking interruption did not overwhelm or confuse Jesus. He confronted the man head on, rebuking him with the words, be quiet and come out of him. I can just imagine the worshippers, like in this setting, sitting there on the edge of their seat, not sure what to think. Immediately the man fell to the ground and, and began convulsing. Suddenly a demonic shriek sprang forth and that unclean spirit left him. The spectators asked, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. Mark 1 and verse 27. Jesus was a man of authority. He knew that he was the Messiah, the one God destined to rule the whole world. And he didn't shrink back from a good spiritual fight. And ladies and gentlemen, this is why he is so, so very great. Okay, one more, one more. I'm doing good with time. One more. One more. So when, whenever, I, whenever I prepare to, to minister, inevitably there will be some sort of attack that will, come, that will come my way. And it's usually an attack on my physical well-being. So you see me now looking handsome and smiling and you know, all of, all, you think, hey, that, that dude, you know, he seems like he's got it together. But what you don't know is usually precedent to this. So what comes before this um, is usually an attack and it's usually on my physic physical body. So probably around about Wednesday or Thursday, I started feeling like um, I had gastric flu. We don't need to go into the details. You know what gastric flu comes with, right? You know, right? If you don't know, ask someone after you've eaten your lunch, okay? But that's, that's, that's what was happening to me, right? And I felt absolutely horrible. And Sally Ann wasn't there. She was in KZN uh, with Matthew, and it was just me and Jude. And I'm thinking, oh, now I'm sick. I don't want to make Jude sick. Um, oh, there's just a million things running through my mind, and I need to prepare for Sunday. And I want to encourage you this morning because at a certain point in time, and I sent a message to the band, and I told them, look, pray for me, but I, I don't accept this. Basically, that's what I said. Basically, I said, I receive my healing in Jesus' name. Because I know who, I know, I know the God that I serve. I know that Jesus is great. I know that he's a healer. I know what I've been preparing on. 
So I can't be there um, gastric flowing in the middle of saying how great Jesus is. And so I refused it. I just refused the sickness. I said, you know what? I'm going to be fine. I, 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 I received my healing in Jesus' name. And here I am, perfectly fine. Nothing wrong with me. I want to encourage you. There's, 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 many, there's many other subheadings here about him being, um, let's see, about him being a life coach, um, about him being sociable, about him being courageous, about him being human, compassionate, about absolute trust, about him still being alive. And we we've touched on that already, but he's also our healer. One of the reasons why he is so great, in this life we'll go through many, many, many situations where our physical well-being is attacked, where the enemy attacks us and he attacks us through sickness. Right now we are on the precipice of, of, of winter. In fact, we might as well admit it, winter is here. It's here already. Okay, You wake up in the morning and it's absolutely freezing cold everywhere in the house where there isn't a heater. It's absolutely cold. It's freezing. You wonder, have you left a window open? Did someone leave the door open? Is the garage door open? Why is it so cold? How can this amount of cold air come inside the house? Are there no walls? Where are we sleeping? Are we sleeping outside? These are the questions I ask myself in the morning as I'm getting ready. Why is it so cold? Am I the only one, guys? It is cold in the morning. Why is it so cold? Winter is here. But I want us to declare the greatness of Jesus during this winter season. Let's refuse sickness. Let's not just say, ah, we've got the flu because it's winter. Ah, yeah, no, ah, you know how it is. During June, July, we all get sick. Let's stop saying these things, guys. Let's, not, let's stop accepting these things. Jesus is great because he's also our healer. My favorite healing, I'm, I'm now reading from, 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 this, from, this, from this passage that's found on, on, on the internet. The writer says, my favorite healing was when he interrupted a funeral procession and told the grieving mother to stop crying. No doubt at that moment, the sheer shock of Jesus' intrusion must have caused bewilderment among the onlookers. But before anyone could say anything else, he commanded the dead child, the only son of his widowed mother, in Luke chapter 7 and verse 14, and he says, Young man, I say to you, arise. And he did. That's exactly what happened. The young man who was dead arose. Jesus had come across a devastating human trage tragedy and was not content to simply pass by without doing something about it. He was not about to let the suffering take place on his watch. There's a funeral taking place. A mom has just lost her boy. Jesus comes across this funeral procession and is not allowed, not on his watch, not while he's there, He's not allowed, he's not, he's not prepared to allow this funeral to just go by, the suffering to just continue. This dead boy to just remain dead. Not while he's in the midst of this situation. He got involved and reversed the effects of sickness bringing life out of death. But isn't that what Jesus does? Isn't this one of the main reasons why he's so great? Is the fact that he's a God that brings life out of death. He sees, he sees a situation of death. 
and destruction. And out of that situation, he brings forth life. So you and I, during this winter season, let's, let's declare life. Let's, let's refuse sickness. Let's declare the greatness of Jesus Christ, even as we go through this winter season. That, that we won't need to visit the doctor, that we won't need to take all, all sorts of doses of all sorts of different types of medication. And if it does happen that you do fall sick, in the midst of that situation, remember, remember, remember these two things. I, I remember this testimony from one of Israel Houghton's um, live, live recordings, one of his live DVDs, where his pastor at the time, I'm assuming, comes up and gives a testimony. Actually, not his, it's not his pastor, sorry, I just remember. Um, it, it, it's another gentleman, I just can't remember his name, but he gives a testimony of, of his, his child, and his child has got a headache. And so his, his child says to him, Daddy, I've got a headache. And so this guy basically says to his son, declare that you're healed. Just declare that you're healed. And so the child goes away and starts declaring, I'm healed. I'm healed. I'm healed. Then he comes back to his dad. He says, Daddy, I still have a headache. And he says to him, my boy, just remember, at the moment, there are two facts. There are, there are two situations opposing each other. And if you keep declaring the healing of Jesus in that situation, one is going to overpower the other. There are two, two positions right now, two truths that are opposed to each other. In fact, one set of facts and one truth, because God's word is truth. So there's a set of facts here, I have a headache, I have a headache, I have a headache. There's God's word, which is truth. I am your healer, I am your healer. At the moment, they are opposing each other. At the moment, there's a battle taking place. But if I keep declaring that God is my healer, God is my healer, I am healed, I am healed in Jesus' name, at some point in time, the truth of God's word is going to overpower the, is going to overpower the facts of your situation. Hallelujah, Jesus. So even if you do fall ill through this winter season, it's not because you're in sin. But even if you do fall ill throughout this winter season, go follow the doctor's advice. Take your medication, but let's not... You know, the problem that I have is we're so eager to lean on the arm of flesh. And according to the scripture, when you lean on the arm of flesh, it will surely fail you. Now, I go to the doctor. I'm not one of those people who doesn't go to the doctor. I go to the doctor, but when I go to the doctor, I'm, in the, I'm, in the, I'm sitting in the waiting room saying, Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that the doctor that's about to see me or the doctor that's about to see my son or both of my sons or Sally Ann has been given wisdom that comes from you. It's not his, his or her own intellect. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that as they begin to diagnose what is wrong, you will show them things that they would, that they would otherwise not be, have been able to see. There will not be a misdiagnosis, Lord, because you are in the midst of this entire setup. So I'm going to the doctor, but I'm not relying on him or her. I'm taking the medication, but I'm not relying on it. I know who my source is. I know who my healer is. Does that make sense this morning? The more we declare the truth of God's word over our situation, the more eventually at some point in time, the truth of God's word will overpower whatever it is that we're going through. Because all things are under subjection of this great Jesus that we serve. Amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Hallelujah, Jesus. 
Hey, E-Family, Online Family, that was a great message, wasn't it? We really want to fill the globe with all this teaching. Our passion is to raise leaders and release reformers. So if you want to tap into more of these teachings, you can go to www.gochurch.co.za. And I think you'll really be refreshed and reformed as you go through our materials. Well, if you enjoyed that message, click subscribe and also share with your friends, with your enemies. Don't forget... We've got the live feed that takes place 9.30 every Sunday morning.